Well, David, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. You know, Thanks, Jared. because it is the first episode. It's not like anything really cool, but you know, may, it, it it will uh, it'll get there for sure. So, um, as I said before, first thing I want to ask is what what got you into law enforcement? Kind of give us a little brief background into, you know, that. Well, uh, initially, um, my passion to to help people and to be a defender comes from through childhood um i am the oldest of five siblings and my dad tells me in the in my adult years that even as a child i pretended oftentimes to be the police i found myself growing up and really watching police officers uh, both black and white, down through the years, observing them, what their purpose was. So before I really understood the actual definition of a police officer's duties, I had pretty much made an observation that the primary reason that police are there is to protect the public, i.e. me as a young person, from evil, and that's kind of a central theme growing up for kids when you get involved with the uh, the characters, uh, uh, the cartoon characters, and certainly uh, um, your Batmans, your Supermans, and your superheroes. Uh, their central theme was that there was a constant battle between good and evil. And, uh, of course, uh, most of the time, uh, young boys always want to be the good guys. And then there's some that say, hey, I want to be the bad guy. So uh, I found myself always wanting to be on the right side of the law. Even in playing, I wanted to be on the right side of the law. Well, that was a really great story. Um, well, you know how life throws us curveballs, David. You know, me growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And uh, I, I, of course, I'm not. I'm here doing podcasts. Um, so did even though you had a real passion early on for law enforcement, did you did you end up doing something else before you actually went into law enforcement? Yes, I did. Um, even though I saw a lot of things that were super good that law enforcement did, as I got older, I saw law enforcement um, in sometimes in not so positive light. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s as a teenager and an adolescent and teenager. Uh, during the 60s, of course, that was at the peak of the civil rights movement. Um, and during the 70s, uh, our community actually experienced uh, a couple of race riots that uh, that sounded off um, incidents of, of societal problems like racism, uh, economic uh, disadvantage, uh, communities having to, to survive, uh, try to be resilient uh, during turbulent times. And then the challenge of educating our young people uh, under coming out of Jim Crow laws. So uh, there were a lot of reasons why my desire to be a police officer might not have been popular among a lot of people. Uh, you know, there were stories about uh, people being uh, beaten in jail and made to confess to things that they didn't do. And um, there were... Uh, Incidents whereas the fleeing felon law in the 70s was used to justify uh, the shooting of unarmed, uh, predominantly black men, because very seldom you heard of 
white males getting shot, fleeing from the scene of a felony. And so those things uh, were reasons why you probably the last thing you want to do is to go into law enforcement when a lot of the public perceptions were that they were just a, a corrupt organization. Um, so again, going back, uh, looking at the different people I encountered, uh, there was a young man by the name of Jim uh, when I was 14 years old that um, he was at the scene of a funeral. And uh, of course I was, I came outside and he introduced himself as Jim and he asked me what was my name. I told him my name was David and he asked me how old I was. And when I told him, he says, man, you're going to be soon driving. He has, have you started to learn, uh, have you start to uh, study for your learner's permit? And I said, well, no, sir, I haven't. He says, well, uh, do you have a driver's handbook? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, let me see if I have one. So he was dry, riding one of those three-wheel motorcycles that they used back then to do traffic uh, funeral escorts. So he grabbed the driver's handbook, and he says, well, here, I'm going to give you this, and I want you to start studying for that exam. Well, this is a positive engagement between a police officer and a young black kid that has been told that uh, in many instances that uh, police will will shoot you for nothing and police will take you down to the station and make you confess to something that you didn't do. So here he showed me a different side and what he was more engaging. Uh, he did more engaging in that small window frame of time than I had ever been engaged in with a law, a law enforcement officer. And that's, um, that's something really, really great too. Cause you kind of think about it. Um, the impact that, one one law enforcement officer like yes. that is you know noble and um and like you know just an all-around good person and how that can have such a big impact on someone who's basically your whole life your culture right. had told you that um they they were no good to you or you know that they were you know because I feel like some different in different cultures, people um, the perception of law enforcement is they are the enemy, and it's and it's hard not to argue with that because you see so, and especially in today, this day and age, um, I, I use this analogy once: like police officers or law enforcement officers are, they're almost like when you go to Wendy's and you're trying to get a cup of chili, and <laughs> they're they're almost like why are you bothering me with this? That's all. That's how my, every single time I've had engagement with law enforcement is always like, why are you wasting my time? Like what's you get what I'm saying? And there wasn't a nobility to it. So, right. and it's really interesting how that one experience kind of just, well, and prior to that, uh, the two law enforcement officers I had come in contact with on a more a personal basis was once in Huntington, West Virginia, where my cousin's husband, uh, was a police officer then until they, they moved from Huntington, West Virginia to uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, the, the other uh, officer, black officer, was uh, he's now retired, Houston Harris, uh, with the Scammy County Sheriff Department. And uh, he came out one day, he had gotten a complaint about uh, someone's animal being stolen. And so he started to ask the children in the neighborhood. And, and of course, having that positive interaction with him was great, but it was just a, he was on a call and we had a conversation and it showed me again, a police officer in a positive light, 
just like my cousin in New Jersey, uh, on his breaks, he would come by the house. And so, you know, I saw him as a human being, uh, not only as a human being, but a person that looked like me. So when I met Sergeant, well, I, later on, he became Sergeant James Holman, but he was Jim at the time. And, um, and Jim was more engaging because the time allowed him to. And so uh, looking back in retrospect, I realized that sometimes time doesn't allow you to engage with the public like you want to. But what you have to do is when you have opportunity to engage, you want to maximize uh, that opportunity. And so, um, and what it did is see, there were incidents where injustices were being carried out. You know, we cannot deny that. Historically, uh, a lot of times police officers and police departments are used to, uh, to further different political agendas, which is why my platform is professionalism over politics. Because what I've learned over my career is that when police officers engage in the, the professional level of activity, then it's not just about safety and security, but it's about services. You know, sometimes providing the right information uh, across the population of people that you serve presents you as a professional and you're not just picking and choosing who you would share that information with. So uh, that's something that I've, I've experienced the impact of it before I could actually quantify it into a theory. There is a positive uh, contact theory out there that says that more frequently you have positive contact between two different groups of people that you minimize the likelihood of negativity being what they draw from. So in other words, the more positive interaction you can get between the races of people and especially with the races of people in law enforcement, you actually counter the negativity that may come out of some issues or some incidents that may make public uh, media and go, go viral. So uh, uh, I didn't know that initially, but going, looking back, uh, this this theory was being lived out in the lives of a lot of people. And so that's why uh, today I really would like to create more opportunities for people to know law enforcement and what law enforcement is all about so they can support good law enforcement services. And, and, and at the same time, when there's an expectation for accountability, they will know that when certain actions are have, uh, must be taken by a sheriff or a police chief, then this is necessary to maintain the quality of safety, security, and services. So it kind of goes around about a long way, but when it, at the end of the day, the public wants to know or be assured that things were done that should have been done, it was done right, and it was done for the right outcome. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can't help but agree with everything you say there. Um, and even though my finite knowledge of law enforcement, I had a little bit of an eye into it growing up because my father was, he was a correctional officer. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, like a different thing. Um, but he, he, he did a lot of stuff. He was like the weapon safety officer. He like did all the, um, training for him. He like, he, he did a whole bunch of stuff, but, um, right. But, but were, imagine if he didn't yeah. imagine if he didn't do the training properly yeah. then you would have improperly trained corrections officers and when something goes wrong mm -hmm. they say well they need training but that should be a part of the development of your officers on the job yeah. so there are some things in corrections and law enforcement that are pretty much consistent like as they are in other professions and it's what 
the citizens or the public would expect out of a professionally run yeah, it would. Yeah, he'd be in hot some hot water if he couldn't teach them how to fire their their weapons correctly. That would be a big big issue. But um, you know, talking about all that, let's uh, let's get into you're running for sheriff. Okay, so I want to know what was that? What was the push? Because we all we know pretty much anybody that's watching this, they they know a little bit of your background. Know that you were a um, chief of police for the PPD and. Um, what after you left there and you retired all that stuff what kind of made you want to get back into it kind of tell us your passion uh, behind that so okay well my passion really is to make Escambia County Pensacola Escambia County the best place to live and to see the quality of law enforcement services such that that businesses growth and development families and the preservation of history and neighborhoods will thrive because you have a good public safety uh, in that area that that's responsive, uh, got their ears to the ground, also uh, an agency that's forward thinking. Uh, I think that's critical now. I said, you know, to do things the way you've always done it and expect people to comply and, and things to change is just an unreasonable expectation. Uh, forward thinking, let's look at new ways to do things, let's look at better ways. Let's make sure we're investing our time, money, and the public's uh, tax dollars into the right directions for the right reasons and for the right outcome. And I believe when we do that, we're gonna be a better resilient, a very strong community. And you'll find that no matter what we're going through, uh, we will be able to get through it. And uh, and sometimes that's, what, that's the hope that people need right now. And I believe that even with the current environment, people are looking for, for, for messages of hope and a history. And so my history, uh, I've been in leadership, uh, I've been left to run the department uh, by actually by the opponent that I'm running against. Uh, I, I served as a captain for 16 years. And uh, as a captain, I, uh, I think half of that time was spent as a senior captain. So uh, I spent a lot of times in leadership as a senior captain. We didn't have assistant chief of police uh, under uh, my predecessor's regime. Uh, we had uh, four captains and, and, of course, the chief. So a lot of times when he went out of town, uh, he left someone in charge as acting chief of police. So I found myself on many occasions acting chief of police and especially on several occasions during crisis time, yeah. which means that you have to be at a level of competency. You got to know your workforce. You got to know your staffing and, and what your strengths and limitations will be during this situation. I've worked through just about every hurricane that's, that's come through Pensacola in the last two or three decades. Mm -hmm. So I have the experience of working in the in, in 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 the upper administrative capacity, and uh, and and this also is what makes me confident that uh, even in times like this, I am ready. I've been prepared, and I'm ready to take the helm of the leadership position at the sheriff's department. So uh, I I've, I really believe that that right now is, the timing is right. Uh, there's definitely a a, lead, a a need for change in leadership a need for change in the direction that uh, our department is going. Uh, we're losing far too many people uh, to other agencies that they're seeking better pay or they're just seeking an environment that provides the fairness that I think everybody in the workforce is looking for. So if you if you watch the news in the last uh, four or five years, you see that there's been an increased concern uh, for issues of integrity, issues of accountability, issues of 
of a, a, a fairness in the department. So it gives me a purpose for running. Now, I have to admit, uh, five years out uh, before uh, I was even in the, in, in the uh, uh, I would say back in 2010, I had no desires to get involved in politics because I watched politics as an administrator, as a supervisor, as a patrolman, even as a police cadet. I watched the viciousness of politics and how they're winners and losers. And at the end of the day, when it's public safety, the public loses big time. Yeah. And so the problems don't go away. They just build interest. And when they manifest themselves later on, they're worse than they ever were. And it's because either the job wasn't finished or at some point politics played into it. And now there's a whole different direction. So uh, it has given cause. And, uh, and I definitely, uh, when I realized there was a call on my life, uh, to go higher in law enforcement, then I knew it's just a matter of time. I was approached in 2016 about running uh, as a sheriff candidate, but I was in the midst of finishing my career with the city, and I believed that every bit of that time and the things I was dealing with would be critical to me being able to move forward and to become the sheriff of Escambia County. Uh, so so that that that's kind of how it, how it come up to this, and certainly my platform, as you heard me, uh, restate and state again is professionalism over politics and when you hear about the things that I've actually seen and experienced it give cause to to me being here yeah and uh, I was just about to say when you explained that it really kind of um, hit me it was like a lightning bolt it's like bing I, I got the I got the like it made sense you know and that whole professionalism over politics because what we need is not someone who's going to be a politician because I think even in our climate as Americans in a national sense has gotten us in messes because because of politics and politics is something that I believe hinders things more uh, more often than not than you know basically get things done and uh, and that's what we've had for the last I don't even know 10 14 I, I just I remember that uh, I was a kid when McNesby was the sheriff, and he then, what's his face, Morgan won, and I was a kid, you know, and now I'm grown, I'm almost 30 years old, <laughs> got four kids myself, and and it's still been, you know, David and Morgan, and, uh, and I think it's really, really time for a change, because, you know, there's, when you see uh, a sheriff's deputy, you should almost feel like that's an advocate, someone that's going to be there to um, help you through something or basically a friendly face. Um, yes. And, 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 you know, uh, when you were saying that uh, there has to be a distinction between what's acceptable and what's unacceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. And certainly uh, public safety uh, first responders are in a leadership position to kind of model what that looks like. And certainly that means the, 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 uh, the, the trust level has to be uh, 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 at a, ver a very high professional level in order for the public to be able to, to see that. Um, you got to be able to live out what you say you believe in. Yeah. And, uh, and so in the agency, they have to be able to say, well, he's a fair person and, uh, and he doesn't play favoritism. These are things that will kill the morale of any agency and certainly in a community where uh, the way uh, 
justice is administered, it will cre- it will kill the morale and the actual strength of that community. Mm-hmm. So so I, I really I really believe that my running as a as a candidate and my becoming the next sheriff is going to be a blessing to the entire county, no matter what your partisanship may be. Absolutely. Um, and just like you said, what your partisan may be. Another thing that I believe is a big issue in even on a national level is the like the incredible divide between Republican and Democrat. Um, and by the time that in the little bit of time I've gotten to know you is uh, you 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 don't really follow that line, you know, um, because to me, I think it's a very important thing to that people know that it's not if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, it doesn't matter. You know, you're here to help all of Pensacola, just regardless, regardless of what your political party is. And I think that's something refreshing that we need because, you know, it's something that we're not used to. Well, uh, and we have to look at it like this. Uh, when you call 911, uh, they don't ask you what your partisanship is. They ask you, what is your emergency? And when you say we need the police, you don't say to them, I need a Republican police officer. I need a Democratic police officer. I need a white officer. I need a black officer. You say, help me. We need the police or we need rescue or we need the firefighters. So why in the world, when it comes down to public safety, should that even matter? Um, You know, so sometimes we can allow um, public or societal issues start to invade areas where we don't need that. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I stand firm that um, my partisanship shouldn't have any bearing on whether I'm the best choice for the job. What you should seek to know is what have I done that have brought me to this point mm-hmm. and that have given rise to me to run for this position. This is a noble position. It's a position of a lot of responsibility. It's the position of, a, of an enormous amount of trust that has to be given to the person in this position. And when they vote in a sheriff, they're making a very profound statement. Every one of them that vote for this elected official, they're making a profound statement that they'll have to live with. And one of the things that I found um, in the arena of politics is there it has to be somebody you blame for it. And, 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 and certainly one thing that would destroy the unity or the cohesiveness of a community is when a lot of time is spent playing the blame game. You know, um, <clears throat> there are issues in our community that parallels national issues, statewide issues. And certainly these issues also become uh, politically driven, politically charged. But when you take social issues in a community and you use it as a weapon to create a divide in that community, and what you just did is that you're going to constantly put the community in a position where when things go wrong, the issue is not going to be whether it was done right or not. It's going to be who was responsible for. Was it the Republicans, the Democrats, the independent, or the nonparty feelings? You're gonna, there's always going to be an attempt to blame someone rather than holding everyone accountable for what they should do given the same opportunity to respond. So that's why you see, again, it give rise to my platform about things being done fair. Uh, Fair and impartial policing, fair and impartial justice should be something that's a matter of public policy 
and public procedures. So um, it, 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 but when it doesn't happen, then again, you're going to see the ugliness, the viciousness of politics. I remember as a patrolman, uh, there was a judge's race and there were, there were criminal charges filed because candidates was tearing down each other's sign and it just went too far. And as, as a young officer, I was looking at it, I was saying to myself, you got to be kidding me. These are professional people that are running for positions of public trust. How much trust can I have in a person that's really doing things that, that, that will question their ethics, their integrity? So uh, even in today's race, I mean, you find things being done maliciously and you say to yourself, man, am I going to, I refuse to be dragged down that low to play tit for tat. I really believe that my career speak for itself. Uh, I didn't indulge myself in just trying to be man pleasers, but I wanted to make sure that I went on the record every time for doing things right, doing it for the right reason and doing it for the right outcome. And I can ride in neighborhoods and see fruits of my labor. Yeah. I can go into various parts of the community where the wealthy live, where the middle class live, and even where the poor live and see people that have been impacted by the level of professionalism and integrity and accountability and fairness that I exercise in my duties. And what I'm saying is that's what we expect from public safety. It is a profession. It's not just a job. And when we start treating it like a profession, we'll get, we'll be able to recruit officers uh, from our community and they will be committed to doing the job right because they know that there is a community out there that support them 100% and that they're counting on him and mandating them to do it right. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask, because there's, before we um, before we close out here, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, I would be remiss not to uh, mention or ask you, do you have, especially what's going on now with the, the coronavirus, do you have any, like, um, advice for the community, um, or yes. anything that you could really, you know, let these, let everybody know that, uh, can help them, keep them safe, keep them healthy. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, we have to acknowledge the fact that the coronavirus has disrupted life in America. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's our current reality, yeah. but it's not the first time that life in America has been disrupted. I mentioned earlier, nine 11 was very disruptive. Uh, the different viruses, West Nile was very disruptive. Uh, uh, so the list gets long. But one thing we all got to do is we got to remain calm. We got to uh, realize that there is a plan on how we can stay safe. And I think it's only appropriate that uh, because uh, this strand of the coronavirus is somewhat different and uniquely uh, in the way it's being dealt with, uh, we got to follow some protocols. And, and one of the primary protocols, if you're sick, stay away from people uh, and wash your hands, wash your hands uh, uh, and, 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 you know, do these basic hygiene things that will help keep us not only healthy, but also ward off the potential carrying of a virus uh, that may end up being a, a crisis for yourself. Uh, the other thing is, is that because we realize it changes what we're accustomed to, Let's be more cooperative with each other. Um, I went to the ATM the other day and I, I was waiting in line and I stood where everybody stands who's next in line. Mm -hmm. And a lady was just agitated and she just turned around and said, could you move further back? Oh, wow. 
And, uh, and of course, you know, us, those of us standing in line just kind of looked at her and, uh, and me understanding I've worked through hurricanes before people get on edge and they go out in public, but that, that, that could have been a real ugly situation mm-hmm. had it been the, uh, the, the wrong person standing next in line. Um, the guy behind me seemed to have been frustrated by it. Uh, but I think the way I handled it uh, probably gave him something else to think about. You know, you got to be careful how you respond. And, you know, some people, you know, mental illness is still a major issue in our community and how we choose to deal with a person that could be uh, suffering from some kind of, you know, mental disorder or some mental illness, you know, how we deal with that person can have a, a lot of a high impact on how this incident will turn out. So be calm. Let's follow protocols. And if you don't understand, ask someone to explain it to you. And uh, understand it's just like uh, with services. Uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta be patient because there is a plan to restore life back to what it was. And, and, uh, but we got to stay informed and hopefully do this series of podcasts. We'll be able to keep everybody informed on what they should do. But basically right now, keep, wash your hands. If you're home, uh, if you're sick, stay at home. And certainly if you think you have uh, or showing symptoms of the virus, make sure that you appro- uh, appropriately contact the right people. Uh, because, uh, again, m- being medically responded to has a lot to do with how, how cooperative you're going to be. Uh, and also avoid the big crowds, which is general information. But at the same time, man, don't panic. You know, don't panic. You won't have to push and shove in these lines. Um have some idea how you're going to uh, go through a day or two, or even I've been told that we may need to be preparing for as many as two weeks or more. So have some plan as to how you're going to better manage your resources. And if you haven't done that before, some people fail miserably just at the hurricane warnings. So you might want to rethink it and get some better ideas. But uh, but to just start giving in to panic and fear, uh, your panic and fear can add to the next person's the next thing you got total mayhem because people just been overwhelmed with fear. So please stay calm and stay informed. Yeah, absolutely. And I, all I like to think about it is, is, uh, yeah, it sucks. Um, but I try to always focus on positives, yes. you know what I'm saying? So, um, like a lot of things that are going on now, like, you know, something I've never seen, like, you know, our bills, like Gulf power and EC way and, Cox cable and stuff like that. They're really like helping people out. They're like, Hey, don't worry about, it. we're not going to cut anything off. We understand it's a hard time right now. And I think that's really cool too. Um, but before we, before we get out of here, um, I want to ask you, uh, what, is there anything you want to say to the listeners or the viewers? Uh, is there anything you guys are doing right now? Or if there's any way that the, the audience can help you guys or what, do you have anything like that? Well, one of the things that I would encourage the listeners to do is to, if you haven't, uh, go on our website, davidalexanderforsheriff.com, and uh, like our Facebook page, and let's and follow us. We're going to be uh, on the air. We're going to do a lot more podcasts and video uh, to, to continue our campaign. Uh, we're going to reach the, the, the voting public one way or the other, and uh, we will be engaging in radio and TV uh, trying to make sure we maximize the opportunity uh, that's presented to us. Uh, but follow us, and certainly if you are uh, supporting our campaign, we'd like for you to donate. Uh, you can go online and donate uh, on our website uh, through PayPal, uh, or 
If you want to mail us a donation, we can give you the address uh, to mail it to us. Uh, we do have a post office box that you can mail it to, and uh, we will be more than happy to to receive your donations. Also, uh, word of mouth. And what I'd like to do is we're working through some technical things right now, but I'd like to create um, uh, online opportunities where we can actually get more people online and just do a live screen and, and answer questions or you submit the questions and we answer them for you. Uh, but we, we want to look at ways, creative ways to reach out because the other thing is that now that life has been kind of restricted, uh, we're going to spend our time doing something. I would rather uh, spend time engaging the voting public into some good conversations, uh, some good dialogues where we can better understand each other and then what they're going to get out of me as the next sheriff of Escambia County. So please go online, uh, like us on Facebook, and if you want to volunteer, uh, submit us your information or if you want to just talk to us, you know, uh, we can do some talking online. I would definitely make sure we're responsive uh, to get your concerns addressed. Uh, but this is, we're going to get through this together. We've been through it before. Uh, we proved to be resilient before. And I, I think I know for sure that we can be resilient uh, during this turbulent time. So what we're going to do is next week, uh, our next podcast, we're going to actually answer some questions, but we're going to need you guys to ask them. So what I'm going to need you guys to do is uh, once you listen to this or watch it, please write your um, your questions down in the comment box below because this will be on Facebook. And then what we'll do is we'll review them and then the next podcast will we'll actually answer your questions. So um, if you guys do that, that'd be greatly appreciated and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. All right, David, I appreciate it. And... Um, yeah, until till next time, you guys stay safe, healthy, and wash your hands. Absolutely.